This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Greetings out there in Michigan Radio Land. Uh, we got an exciting uh, hour ahead of us here on uh, the Political Insider. We've got a special guest right out of the box. He is state former state representative John Stewart, S T E W A R T. He is from Plymouth, Michigan. That's where he was when he was elected to the state house back in the year two thousand, and he served. Three two-year terms, and then he was termed out. Uh, he's had a very colorful year uh, career. He's uh, a longtime attorney in uh, Plymouth. He has his uh, office right there on Main Street, I believe. Uh, John Stewart, welcome to the Political Insider. Thank you so much. I can't begin to tell you what a privilege and an honor this interview is. Well, it, it only will be an honor and a great event because of your participation in it. I know you're going to be good and you're going to tell us a lot to think about. Let me well, just start let me let me just start out ask this question. You happen to be uh one of the very few people in the state, one of the few legislators for that matter, who actually uh, got elected to the state house of representatives in the year 2000, the same year that Gretchen Whitmer was elected. She was a Democrat from uh, East Lansing. You were a Republican from Plymouth, but you uh, took your seats at the same time in the state house. You served three two-year terms together. And I'm just curious, uh, now that Gretchen Whitmer has become governor, uh, what kind of a legislator was she uh, in your estimation over those three two-year terms? She was very knowledgeable of the legislative process. Um, she was on the Appropriations Committee with me for six years and, of course, higher education. Her representing um, uh, Michigan State uh, from East Lansing. I was chair of that committee, and she liked to remind me, because I was the only endorsed uh, state rep in the, in the uh, Michigan legislature the last 35 years, with uh, the picture of Governor Milliken on my literature and a quote of him endorsing me. She liked to remind me that her father was the Secretary of Commerce during the Milliken administration. So she was trying to pose herself as a moderate and someone who would work with, with both sides. We shared a mutual support of SBAM. Uh, I was the Legislator of the Year for the Small Business Association of Michigan, and I closed her, closely watched her voting. And she went right down the line with, with small business. And she called up Brian Kelly, um, who is now the head of uh, the Small Business Association of Michigan and our former lieutenant governor. Do you think she's moved leftward over the past two decades since she first came in? Is she maybe not viewed as being as supportive of business uh, as she once was? Or do you think she's pretty much the same person ideologically, philosophically, that she was back in the early years of the 21st century? Oh, I, I do think she has moved leftward. Um, she um, was being groomed by the Democrats, and her father, who had been the CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield, 
and we all know that Dan Lepp, uh, CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield, last year made it a $19.2 million. So uh, she was strategically positioned uh, to run, and the Democrats groomed her, and the Democrat women uh, thought they had a very uh, solid candidate. And, and I agreed with that. She was, she was fun to work with because she was a lawyer, uh, albeit someone who has not had any real private sector work experience as an attorney. And uh, there's a 20-year age difference between the two of us. Hard to believe, John Stewart, you could be 20 years older than Gretchen Whitmer. I still think <laughs> of you as a very young man, and you probably still are, certainly in spirit. Let me ask you, you say you were chairman of Higher Education Subcommittee of Appropriations. You were chairman of the Judiciary Subcommittee also, is that right? Yes. Well, was she on both those committees or just higher ed? Uh, actually, she was on both. Um, she was there to get an education. When I first met her, she was a, a bright, single lady, 29 years old in 2000, and she was there to uh, learn as much as she could. Uh, and you could you could tell that, and I appreciated that, and, and we had some very uh, fun talks. Was she pretty supportive of the budgets that came out of higher education and judiciary at that time? Oh, yes. Because uh, we worked, we were one of the more enlightened, if I may say so, uh, committees. Uh, we had uh, a, quite a cross section, and as you know, the Appropriations Committee is the heartbeat of uh, the legislative process. And and Gretchen was there to learn everything she could. So uh, let the posturing begin tomorrow when she proposes her first budget as governor. Well, let let me uh, ask you this question. Uh, one person uh, that you both venerate, uh, even though he is of the opposite or was of the opposite political party from uh, Gretchen Whitmer, was William G. Milliken, whom you've already met, mentioned. Um, what she has said during her campaign and coming into office that she emulates or she wants to emulate Governor Milliken. Uh, do you think she's going to be able to be a kind of Milliken-like figure as governor, even though she's a Democrat and he was a Republican? And by the way, when Governor Milliken was in office, a lot of people forget this, uh, he faced a uh, Democratic legislature most of the time that he was governor. Uh, Democrats control both the state house and the state Senate, if you can believe that. Uh, what do you think? Well, she will have to try and head down, and, and I think she's headed in that direction. But uh, as Governor Blanchard, uh, my friend who, who uh, sponsored me and before my one case in, the, in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, Governor Blanchard liked to say, I can't do Bill Milliken. And what, what Governor Whitmer is going to have to do is embrace intellectual honesty. What it boils down to is the quadrant meetings and I like to, to target the, the issue of delicate compromise and consensus. Well, explain what the quadrant meetings are to, to our listeners. The two leaders from the House and the Senate, Republican and Democrat. And we'll have to see that Gretchen is as sincere and as kind as possible and guided by her principles and not politics to deal with the likes of Mike Shirky, State Senate Republican, 
and Lee Chatfield in the House. Uh, majority is everything, and the Republicans have the majority in both the Senate and House currently. Gretchen's got to know that morals matter, and when we abandon our moral compasses, we are lost. Milliken liked to say, that's not the way we do things. And Gretchen's going to have to come out and be very forthright, because Milliken was a very private, quiet, and dignified personality in his style of decision-making. He, he, he represented the highest degree of intelligence, sensitivity, and his personality to achieve delicate compromise and consensus. Now, three weeks from uh, tomorrow is our governor's longest-serving 14-year birthday. Governor William Milliken will be 97 years old up in Traverse City. And, uh, yes, my wife and I have been so privileged the last several summers to take him to a concert out at Interlochen. And uh, such a gentleman who was revered by so many people. Wow, that's something. And uh, Dick Whitmer, as you mentioned earlier, was the director of the Department of Commerce under Governor Milliken uh, way back in the day uh, around uh, 1969, 70, 71, and then went on to uh, the career with... Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, from which he retired, I think, about a dozen years ago. We are going to take a short break here. We'll be back in just a minute. MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We're back with our special guest. He is former State Representative John Stewart of Plymouth, a Republican when he was elected in 2000, served three two-year terms with now Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And uh, he kind of saw it coming. He saw her as being ambitious and being groomed for office. But we were talking when we took a break about former Governor Milliken, who is the idol of not only John Stewart, but in many respects, Gretchen Whitmer, who claims she would love to model her governorship on that of Governor Milliken. Uh, John Stewart, do you have any more stories about William Milliken? Well, when my wife and I would visit Governor Milliken and Helen several years ago before we'd go to Interlochen, uh, we would sit out on the uh, back porch of their uh, home along Peninsula Drive. He had a seismographic sensitivity to words, and he told me that he regretted using the word damn, and that Charlie <laughs> Kane, brother of Carol Kane, caught him using that word publicly, and he regretted that because he always said, we have better vocabularies than that. <laughs> And yes, and, and, and to think of where our, our discourse has uh, the low degree that it has uh, arrived at today is just amazing to me. So Milliken was the gentleman, but he was always so intellectually honest, kind and sincere, striving for that uh, to achieve that delicate compromise and consensus. And Gretchen's got to do that in private, in the Quadrant meetings. Absolutely. Let me uh, 
shift gears a little bit and ask you about your Wayne County. You're up in the northwestern uh, corner of Wayne County in Plymouth. Uh, Northville is just west of you. That used to be kind of like the last bastion of Republicanism in Wayne County, except for maybe the gross points, which are a little too small to be that relevant. Uh, But now today, uh, particularly with the results of the election in November of 2018, there has been a big Democratic wave that has surged not only out of Detroit and into near suburbs like Westland and Wayne and Dearborn and so forth, but now actually up into northwestern Wayne County, uh, as well as obviously down river where there's always been Democratic strength. And to this point, uh, this is really kind of an amazing statistic. Since the Republican Party was formed, founded back in 1854, in Jackson, Michigan, before the Civil War, there has never been a time until now that the Republican Party hasn't had a foothold in Wayne County. But today, as we talk, John Stewart, there is not a single Republican uh, representing even a square inch of territory in Wayne County in the state Senate. The state Senate has no senators with any representation in Wayne County for the first time in history. What is going on here, in your opinion? I don't think you're going to be able to stop, and maybe we don't want to stop, the wave of populism. Uh, The Republican Party has a lesson to learn here, though. And the litmus test of being 100 uh, percent pro-life, 100 percent pro-private schools, vouchers and charters, uh, pro-gun, They have locked themselves into a corner, and God help us that we find some moderates. Uh, I don't mean to be um, ancient history here, if I can have a little fun with that word. I'm not known for my sense of humor. But the uh, Bill Cedarbergs and the Bill uh, Ballingers are gone. I mean, and as well as the Dan DeGroes from our state legislature, those elected officials who were slightly moderate in their outlook, um, that has just been a wave of uh, wiping out the moderates, and uh, we all know of the uh, monetary control of our state legislators from from Betsy DeVos. But uh, there's one exception here, and that's in Plymouth Township. Former state representative uh, Kurt Heisey has turned things around here with uh, cleaning up with our audit and financial records, reopening a fire station, passing a millage, a tax increase for public services, police and fire here in Plymouth Township, and we couldn't be happier with the way he has cleaned things up and the economic development with Rivian coming to Plymouth Township, the electric truck startup. I mean, we're, we're kind of excited, but Kurt has shown some marvelous uh, ability to be moderate. And there's nothing wrong with that. And instead of being arch and ultra-right-wing conservative, and I'm Dutch, so I, we still have a centennial home in Holland, Michigan. <laughs> and and, and uh, my mother used to like to tell my father that the Dutch can live off what the Scots throw away. <laughs> but um, the, uh, the, the Dutch on the west side, they're, they're, they are enlightened people, too. I mean, they're well-educated, and um, 
we we have not seen uh, the likes of this wave of populism. So uh, if the Republicans get want to get with the program and be slightly moderate, then uh, they can get back in the game. But as of now, for the next two years, they control majorities in the state house and in the state senate. Well, let me ask you, uh, Kurt Heisey, a former state representative, a Republican, you say he's supervisor of Plymouth Township, right? Correct. And uh, is the board majority Republican still in Plymouth Township? Yes. And if I can say that's a micro and they're all white males over 55. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, and I thought they has, were extinct. But Kurt has put in a ton of a time and effort and he's very, very intelligent, to develop a delicate compromise and consensus. And uh, he has done what, what Milliken did with the, with the state legislature. But it, it boils down to um, enlightening people, making the case for need. And he did that with our public service millage for police and fire. And we have top-notch police and fire services here. And it's attracting economic development. And we couldn't be happier. Let me mention uh, that Kurt Heisey and uh, the people on the township board were elected in 2016 to four-year terms. That means they didn't have to run in this uh, blue wave, pink wave year of 2018, but they will have to run in 2020. And the way things are going uh, and the results for the Democrats uh, last November in northwestern Wayne County despite the fact that Kurt Heisey may be doing everything right, can he survive as a Republican running in 2020? Well, there seems to be a dichotomy. And locally, we like our enlightened, moderate Republicans. And I would say that Plymouth Township has a very solid uh, Republican base. Uh, And as Governor Milliken liked to remind me, you can't change political parties uh, if you want to run for office. But on a statewide level, we were certainly ready for a, a moderate. Now, I hope that that uh, Governor Whitmer does not swing to the far left with the ultra-liberal progressives, but that remains to be seen because she has to answer uh, to uh, the, her base. And um, she, she knows, and she's had the 14 years of legislative experience So um, let's see what happens. But I go back to the dichotomy that you're referencing. Locally, we still like our Republican base. Uh, Locally elected officials uh, on Plymouth Township, there's all Republicans there. All right. We got to take a quick break at this point, but we're going to come back with a final segment from former State Representative John Stewart. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with our special guest. Uh, He is former State Representative John Stewart, an attorney in Plymouth, but a former state representative. Three two-year terms from 2000-2006, served with now Governor Gretchen Whitmer when she was a state representative. He was chairman of the Higher Education Subcommittee of the Appropriations Committee in the Michigan Legislature. He was also chairman of Judiciary. And even though he was chairman of Higher Education, I'd like to ask you, John Stewart, what about public education in general? I mean, I'm including not just higher education, but more specifically K-12. 
what what is going to happen with public education in Michigan going forward? Well, we need to get a new appoint a new superintendent of our, our state board of education with a strong backbone. And I'm challenging Governor Whitmer to have a backbone also, because public education is the foundation of our democracy. It's the cornerstone of our society. Too much learning time has been spent on standardized testing. We won't repair a car in the future with a wrench, but we'll do it with a laptop computer. Teachers are frustrated for uh, good reason. Creativity and the arts are essential in our, our education, and not just pushing rote learning. We need to focus on the skills education and put the reality into her words that we need career technical education, vocational programming. Robotics is now a varsity sport here, and you know, Bill, that I believe there's excellence in public education in Plymouth, Canton, Northville, and Livonia. But the students here can learn to work and get a letter and the Chairman's Award for, for robotics. And I'm hoping, I know that she may propose a, a significant increase, but there will be posturing, but we've got to stop raiding our public school aid fund, which was a dedicated fund after Proposal A, and, 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 and reduce the siphoning of, uh, of, of billions of dollars, almost $2 billion, for the for-profit charter schools. Well, let me ask you about this uh, rating uh, issue, because Gretchen Whitmer has made a big uh, point of saying this is going to stop. She's on, you know, the same page with you, I think, based on what you've just said. But let me ask you, it's been rated to help higher education. And if you take the, uh, it's something like eight or $900 million dollars, away from higher education that's been taken out of the K-12 school aid fund and give it back to K-12, where is that money for higher education going to be replaced? How is it going to be replaced? Well, you've hit the nail on the head with the the issue of replacement income, and we've identified the evil of raiding the school aid fund, which, you know, my 50-year friend Paul Hilligans and former speaker he used to, he liked to say, although he was supported by Betsy DeVos, he liked to say that um, it was a dedicated fund and ought not to have been uh, raided. Uh, but that started after I left, and that started approximately in 2008 with Governor Granholm, and it's continued. And um, I, I don't know how she's going to do it, but seeing is believing, and uh, I'll, we'll wait to see what happens because she's going to. We have a huge revenue problem. But uh, I, I don't know where we're going to uh, to find the uh, replacement revenue. What about the environment? Uh, that obviously was a very strong issue for Governor Milliken, and Gretchen Whitmer has said the same thing. What needs to happen on that? Well, the environment is our, I mean, God rested his hand on the earth, and when he lifted it off, left Michigan. And it just breaks my heart when I, when I see uh, the continuation of the Line 5, but uh, I was very glad to see that uh, Gretchen um, did a do-over. That showed some flexibility on her part with the executive order on the panels that would, will review the standards and regulations for the DEQ. That, that was a good thing. But our water, uh, Bill, forgive me, I, I was born and raised in Wyandotte, and we had our own generator and our own water. And if you, I mean, this Flint uh, problem has just been horrific. 
And uh, I'm glad it's going to be wrapping up, but those civil lawsuits are going to cause another huge hole in our budget. What about auto insurance rates? Well, although a year ago, Mike, or a year and a half ago, Mike Duggan was, was asking if there was another person around strong enough to be governor, Gretchen's got to turn the page, and she's got to work closely with him on auto insurance rates because, as we all know, that was the issue that got the Republicans to stand up at her state of the state. Well, now let's produce. And you're going to, you're going to have to fight the insurance lobby and be strong and be intellectually honest and make your case to the people and get the facts out. We had a guest on last week who talked about uh, places where some extra money might be found for all these things, public education, infrastructure, whatever it might be. And he mentioned that the beer and wine tax has not been increased since 1967. Uh, Also, you know, mobile homes are taxed at $36 a year. I mean, are we missing the boat here? And why haven't there been steps taken to find at least some money? It's not going to be anywhere near enough given our challenges, but it would be a step in the right direction to reach out for as much revenue that is fair to be collected from either users or drinkers uh, as might be possible. Well, you're absolutely right. You've, you've nailed the issue again with uh, it being a revenue problem. And I don't know what's going to happen as far as the flat rate for the income tax. Um, I, I got a kick out of Wittenberg trying to uh, uh, propose a graduated income tax, and, and you and I both know historically that has gone down in flames once it, it went to the voters. Uh, there will have to be some bonding. There will have to be an increase in the fees for truck weights, which currently allow twice as much as what the federal uh, regulations are. And here in Michigan, trucks uh, get away with, with uh, an enormous amount. But, Bill, the reality is, and maybe this is where you want me to come from, you have a very strong beer and wine uh, lobby in Michigan. And um, I, I sound like George Romney, and maybe I am, because at my stage in life I'm pretty much a non-drinker. That, that, the thing that, to, to think that the beer and wine tax have not been increased since 1967 is just uh, hard to believe. But uh, the public's going uh, to have to become aware. What about minimum wage and paid sick leave? Well, those are going to be considerations to uh, rebuild our middle class. And um, the millennial generation, I mean, they're looking to raise a family and they're looking for sick leave pay. But uh, the corporations are going to have to be enlightened again. Um, and, and, and the minimum wage, will I think it will be a gradual uh, increase, uh, just like the repeal of the pension tax will be a gradual diminution of, of that uh, onerous uh, pension tax. But the reality is going to happen, and you and I will be very interested to see what happens here in the next few months. So in other words, delicate compromise and consensus, uh, they're the key to whether we can make some progress, particularly uh, with Governor Whitmer leading the charge on that front. Is that correct? Absolutely. I I can't begin to tell you uh, how important that is. And for her to try and do it in a quiet, private, and dignified manner in the quadrant, 
to focus on delicate compromise and consensus so we can go onward and forward with the Michigan that we all know and love. Yeah, I'll just mention one more thing. We're just about out of time, and that was you brought up earlier her executive order on getting rid of uh, the commissions that the Republican legislature had enacted last year in the environment. Uh, She apparently learned her lesson because she just basically wiped out (laughs) the marijuana licensing board and replaced it, but she cleared it with the leaders of the House and Senate beforehand, said, this is what I want to do. You got a problem with this? And they basically are saying, hey, she talked to us. We negotiated. We're fine. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. We need to go onward and forward with delicate compromise and consensus building. Absolutely. Look, unfortunately, we're out of time. But, John Stewart, you've been a terrific guest. Thank you so much for being on The Political Insider. We'll get you back. I can't thank you enough. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with uh, a special guest here uh, who is a professor of political science and history at Schoolcraft College in Livonia, although he lives in Jackson, so that's a little bit of a commute. He is Professor Michael Swope, S-W-O-P-E, Swope. Professor Swope, thank you for being with us today on The Political Insider. Happy to be with you, Bill. Okay, I'd just like to uh, mention we have seen the budget from Gretchen Whitmer, um, and I don't want to talk about it in any detail at all. It's been analyzed already, and we've got weeks or months to do that. But I just am interested in your perspective on uh, recent Michigan history. I talked about it uh, last week on the program uh, when Governor Blanchard, you may remember, came into office way back in 1983. There had been mm-hmm. a recession and the state was in terrible shape, uh, high unemployment, revenues down. Uh, the budget uh, was under stress. Uh, the rainy day fund had been pretty much wiped out. And he called for an increase in the state income tax. And we know the history on that, what happened. Uh, Recall of state senators, Democratic state senators, Republicans took over the state Senate, which they have never relinquished. And then you go ahead eight years. And then when uh, John Engler came in as governor, you also had uh, a bad situation with the economy. It wasn't as bad as it had been under Blanchard. But you may remember he uh, cut 85,000 people off general assistance welfare and Mm -hmm. uh, did a lot of belt tightening. Uh, And then we flash forward 12 years. And by the time John Engler leaves office, even though there had been a robust economy uh, in between his ascension to the governorship and his departure, the cupboard was bare again. (laughs) And uh, the economy, people forget the tech bubble uh, recession we had around 2000, 2001. We never really uh, recovered from that. So when uh, when, uh, Jennifer Granholm came into office in 2003, she faced the same kind of terrible fiscal situation. uh, And she struggled with a Republican-controlled legislature. She was a Democrat for eight years. And then when Rick Snyder came in uh, in 2011, uh, we had just had this terrible uh, recession, the worst since the 1930s. So things were very bad again. This year, it, it seems to me, 
And when you look back at when Snyder and Granholm and Engler and Blanchard came into office, we're in much better shape fiscally than we were then. And yet everybody's saying we don't have enough money. Uh, We've got to raise revenue. Uh, We've got unmet challenges in education, in infrastructure, fix the damn roads. Uh, What do you think? What is your perspective as an historian, as a teacher of political science and history? Well, I think that, you know, every administration comes in with its own priorities. And certainly in the last 50 years, the, the Democratic Party has pretty much become the, the party of government. So whatever the question is, the answer is government. And if government doesn't work, then the second answer is we need more government. So uh, you, can, you can see that, that with every Democratic administration, that there is a, a sharp uptick in, in government spending. But there's always a, a, an uptick in spending anyway. And part of that is just due to, uh, to inflation over time, where uh, spending in terms of, of, of real dollars, adjusted value, uh, it doesn't catch up with the, with the nominal uh, value of, of the dollar, or actually vice versa. Uh, nominal value doesn't keep up with the, with the real adjusted value for inflation. So, but, and of course, each administration, when you change parties, and, and Michigan does this pretty regularly, usually every eight years, um, the other, the new administration comes in, points fingers at the old administration, and that's just part of the of the game that politicians play. And uh, in Michigan, since the Constitution of 1963 went into effect, no incumbent governor has ever been turned down for a second term. The only incumbent governor to lose was Jim Blanchard when he ran for that third term in 1990. So, you know, it's pretty, uh, you know, every eight years we have this phenomenon where the executive branch changes sides, uh, changes parties, and then the other party does the finger pointing at the previous party saying they didn't do this, they didn't do that. That, I think, is just part of the, that's just part of, of politics. Well, now, um, Governor Whitmer faces a legislature controlled in both chambers by the Republicans, House and Senate, mm-hmm. controlled by yep. Republicans. And uh, she has a pent-up need, I think, uh, felt by her party and by herself for a lot of spending and revenue uh, on things like fix the damn roads, infrastructure, yep. education, oh, and so yeah, forth. She, she's got to do that. If she, if she doesn't get that done in her first term, it will probably cost her a second term. Well, what about the legislature? Are they likely to go along with this? Look, uh, the Senate Majority Leader, Mike Shirky, who is from your home county of Jackson, mm-hmm. I heard I heard him say a month or so ago, you know what, we've got a revenue enhancement program underway for roads, bridges, and highways passed in the fall of 2015 that doesn't really kick in in full until, let's say, 2001, 2021, excuse me, uh, 2022. Um, he seems to feel, look, help is on the way. How much more do we need to pour into fixing infrastructure, and how much more will the taxpayers uh, support our pouring right. more money? So what do you think is going well, to happen? There, well, there, there's that, and also he's made some statements in the last couple of weeks that says that he's, he's willing to talk with the governor to see what proposals she's, she has. So I think that uh, all, all that in terms of, of the near-term 
uh, money for that. Uh, I, I think that's yet to be decided, yet to be negotiated. So I think it's a, that's a story that's, that's still playing out. But certainly uh, Senator Shirky was right in the long term. There are some enhancements, but we've, you know, we've got to get there. It's, that's still what he's talking about is still two, three, four years away in terms of money available to that transportation infrastructure in terms of the long-term planning. So uh, let's uh, yeah, and so I think that's the story yet to play out in terms of the short term as to what the governor can manage to negotiate with uh, Senator Shirky and with Speaker Chatfield on the House side. What do you think about the national popular vote? I think you probably know what that is. We talked about it last week with a supporter, former state Republican Chairman Saul Anuzis is a supporter. Uh, Of course, if that had been in effect... And I'm I'm an opponent. You're an opponent. Well, okay, tell tell me why you're an opponent. Uh, I believe that the the electric college is there for a good reason, and the our founding generation was was extremely wise. And they did have a uh, if you want to call it a phobia. They uh, it was uh, although phobia is an irrational fear. They had a rational fear of concentrations of population. And keep in mind that at the end of the 1800s, that, uh, or at the end of the 1700s, rather, when they were writing Constitution, uh, democracy still had its classical meaning of being one step short of mob rule. And they had a, a fear of concentrations of power in urban environments. Uh, because they recognize that uh, the people have different ways of thinking in cities as opposed to the way that people think out in the countryside. Um, and people in cities tend to look more toward despots. They tend to look more toward, um, you know, toward someone who promises to, uh, to, to make miracles happen, which never happens. So with the Electoral College, they created a system by which the the entire county or the entire country rather has to be taken into account where if we had a national popular vote, you'd have California, Texas, New York, uh, Florida, and the uh, and the urban centers in between that would decide the election basically. And that's not what the that's not what the founding fathers wanted, and for good reason. They wanted that vote to be to be spread out. They wanted that vote to be diffused. And certainly the Electoral College does that because even though New York, let's take, for example, New York. New York City, of course, has a large concentration of population that's reflected in their representation in Congress and with their electoral vote. But because uh, of the electoral vote, uh, outstate New York, such as Buffalo, Rochester, Schenectady, those cities outstate must also be taken into account because they do have uh, electoral votes up, up to, uh, in play. Um, the same thing would be true in Michigan. Um, we have one very large urban center, and that's Detroit, uh, with another urban center, Grand Rapids, it's nowhere near as large. And so Detroit would be able to dominate a lot of uh, a, a, a presidential election in a way that was that was not intended. So the, the Electoral College preserves the voices of all Americans. And, and a lot of people need to remember, 
We are a republic. We are not a democracy. There are reasons why there are checks and balances. And oddly enough, the Electoral College is a check on the people. It, it is a check on the despotism of the majority. I uh, hear you. I hear you. And listen, we could talk about this for a lot longer, and I will yeah, have to get you back. Let's do it again sometime. We'll do it again sometime. we got to take a break. But thank you so much, Professor Michael Swope of Coolcraft College. Thank you, Professor Swope. You bet.